You know, it's like sandwiches come on bread, which are little beautiful packages of goodness. However, when you have a sandwich shop and you have it walking distance to another restaurant that you also happen to own, it's very easy to walk over there and eat a lot of sandwiches. They're free. Yeah. They're so it's delicious. Not like, hey, this week I'm going to go try sack sandwiches. It's like this morning I'm going to get an egg sandwich. This afternoon I'm going to get a fried chicken sandwich. And maybe later on around dinner time I'll probably get like a Reuben and a cookie. So I had to get off that stuff. Jesus. Yeah. It was becoming a problem. <laughs> I mean, I feel guilty if I have like three sandwiches a week is a lot. They're three little, in a though. Day. That's, that's the good part about these sandwiches, though, is that they're they're like three inches. You can go in and get two or three different sandwiches. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never gonna hit that 12 inch mark. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're gonna get you're gonna get all different flavors. So the idea of the sandwich shop was to like break that mold of having to commit. Mm-hmm. People have so many commitments in their life. Committing to a giant sandwich, that's a commitment. It is. So make the sandwiches smaller. Different flavors and add a little variety to your life, and that's what we do. I think it's a genius idea, and that's the when when I first went there, I was like, oh my god, you can for the cost of one sandwich, you can order two small sandwiches. It's like you're splitting it with yourself. Exactly, that's a good point. We need to use that. Can I use that? You can definitely use that. Come to Sack and split it with yourself. Hello, I'm Jason Stewart, and you're listening to New Rules. This is a podcast where. I sit down with an entrepreneur, a cool business person, an artist, a musician, and I find out how they got to become where they are today. This week I talked to Michael Voltaggio. He's famous for being a top chef winner uh, eight years ago. Now he's uh, he's had his restaurant Inc. in Hollywood. He's got Sack also in Hollywood and many other projects in the works. He's had a long, interesting journey to where he is today, and we learn about Soul Cycle. We learn about sandwiches. We learn about cold brew. So much more. We're recording from Inc. How long has Inc. been here for? I've Inc, been I've been here uh, I've been here a few times. We're going on six years now. Okay. And so um, you know, we got over that sort of are they gonna make it hump? And I think that in the restaurant industry that's that's the you know, that's the hardest thing to overcome and get through. What's interesting about that, though, is everyone that comes in is like, oh, my gosh, is this place new? I've heard about this. And we're like, we're so new. We're six years old. <laughs> but it feels so good to hear that because that means people are still talking about us. And that means yeah. we're doing our job. Um, we're here to take care of people. And uh, that's what we do. Like, what was, like, the big hump that you had to go over? Or, or, is, it, or is it constantly a hump going over? It's Did you staying have to make connected any- to your neighborhood. You know, L.A. is such a transient city. And so you... Mm-hmm. You need to realize that everyone that's living within a couple miles of your business is probably just passing through. So every couple years, you're going to get a new crop of people. Mm -hmm. And so you need to reach out to those people. You can't become complacent or take yourself for granted. You need to get out there and reach out to people. And so we very much want to be a part of not just this community in West Hollywood, but we want to be a part of Los Angeles. And we want to be a part of the footprint of Los Angeles' food scene mm-hmm. and almost, I don't want to say pioneer it, but, but be there as a resource for people that are looking for good food and good forefront. service and good drinks. Yeah. Have you like settled into a stride where like you kind of have the neighborhood figured out? Or have you, are you becoming more of a neighborhood restaurant or are you still doing like wild shit? You know, I want to be a neighborhood restaurant. I want to be, I want to be a restaurant that people can rely on and they know that when they're going to come in, they're going to get that thing that they had that they loved or mm-hmm. they're going to feel like they were taken care of. But I don't, I don't think you can ever hit your stride. You know, if you've hit your stride, then you've settled. And for us, it's about climbing that hill. It's about keep, like, keep going up that hill. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the top, then find another hill and climb that one. And that's sort of how we roll here. You or know? make a sandwich shop. Or create side. a sandwich shop or two or write a book or whatever it takes. But at the end of the day, it's about putting food on the plate and making people happy. You were, you were talking about 
soul cycle with your bros. You're yeah. talking about hitting the gym with your bros. You're talking about a gluten-free wrap. I feel like you're looking svelte right now. Yeah, I, uh, well, we just came off a chef cycle, which was uh, a 300-mile bike ride up north. We oh, did 100 yeah. miles a day for three days, three days straight. Uh, I to, saw that on my Instagram through, to try and through various dudes yeah. who have a lot of tats. There was like 275-plus chefs and not chefs, people that just wanted to support the ride too, pro cyclists and things like that. Um, when you go out and challenge yourself in that way, you start to realize that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. I've never ri- I didn't ride a bike more than 50 miles, and I did that a week before that ride. And then being a part of Chef Cycle and being able to push yourself, feel other people's energy, and ride 300 miles on a bicycle, like, I have a whole new outlook on life. Like, really? I want to keep challenging myself. And if you think about it, like, the cause was to end child hunger. Mm-hmm. So one out of four or five kids in this country... Uh, don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So if they can get through and overcome that challenge and we can help support them with that challenge by challenging ourselves and reaching into our pockets a little bit, I mean, it was was a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you put it like that, it seems like a no-brainer. So that was that one of the first, or I mean, not one of the first, but it was like most recently like a moment where you just hit like a crazy like moment of inspiration when you finished a 300-mile bike ride? Yeah, I think it's it's a good... You're starting to make me. It's a good way to look like at your own life. One. You know what I mean? Like what? What other things in your like? I did that. How I did, did that it take a couple you weeks to do ago. That? Uh, How each long day was seven or eight hours of riding a day, a hundred miles a day, and we did it for three days. So it was three centuries in a row. Century meaning a hundred, one by one by one. Shit. Um, but when you come off of something like that, it makes you think to yourself, "What's next? What else can I do?" And I think that's a lot like building restaurants or creating a new dish or or creating a new experience, or, or whatever it is, once you accomplish something, you can't rest on that. You need to say to yourself, I did that. What else can I do? Mm-hmm. It's like so many people, you know, the, the one-hit wonders of the world, you think about the music industry, they write one song, and few people know that the people that write those songs go back and keep trying to write a song that's <laughs> as much of a hit as that. Yeah. And I feel like the work that's going into those songs are more important than that one hit. Because you're chasing that. And I feel like people that do that and push themselves in that way, all their songs are hits, you know? Mm. That reminds me of, of Tony Hawk in your bathroom, of the kind of like once you, once you, once you see somebody like land a 900 on a vert ramp, then it, it like you, you open up the doors. Like just to know that the possibility is there for you to do it, just to know that you could ride a bike 100 miles in one day. And, and then you're like, shit, I'm sure next year you'll be like, I'll ride 200 miles in one day. Or growing up and studying Tony Hawk and skating and wanting to be Tony Hawk. And then opening a restaurant one day and looking out and seeing Tony Hawk in your restaurant. Compare themselves socially to open your Instagram page and see, oh, Tony Hawk's following me on Instagram. <laughs> so you grow up and one of your heroes is now becoming, you thanks, know. Thanks for explaining that to our younger demographic. Yeah, I mean, I have to. Anything for the kids, you know. <laughs> anything for the kids. So, so Tony Hawk came into your restaurant. I worked with Tony and his wife uh, with Art of Elysium for another uh, nonprofit organization that helps support art and local artists. And so Tony reached out, a uh, random email, um, introduced me to his wife. We were all introduced to Art of Elysium. And then we did this event together one night with Stevie Wonder where we cooked for like six or 700 people mm. to raise money, uh, like I said, for art and for artists. And so, uh, you know. That, that anytime you can do something, again, it was one of those challenges. When they hit me up, they're like, hey, we want you to cook this dinner. And I'm like, cool, tell me more about it. 
And, uh, well, there was two dinners. One was, was for like 30, 40 people and intimate. And then mm-hmm. it evolved into a bigger relationship with Art of Elysium, which ended up being, Art of Elysium ended up being this dinner for six or 700 people. So it was oh, like, wow. Tony got me into that dinner for 30 or 40. We cooked it. It went well. That's then the organization was like, get you, man. they're like, how about doing it for six or 700? <laughs> and I'm like, 300 mile bike ride. 300 mile bike ride. 300 <laughs> and, mile bike ride. And it's for charity. And it's for charity. <laughs> Was there a moment, like, in the last few years where you've sort of, like, switched into kind of a healthier fitness kind of lifestyle or, like, removing the partying from your lifestyle? Uh, I don't know if you can ever remove the partying just because – here, look, here's my issue could, with partying. You could switch it. I, I, I have transitioned into a healthier lifestyle, mm-hmm. of course. But I think I did it to maintain my partying lifestyle, too. Here's my issue with the workforce. That's a good, that's a good WeHo response. I like that. Let me say this. I don't feel like people play hard enough. Therefore, that whole work hard, play hard thing, I think it's kind of going away. And I think people are either relying too much on play hard or relying too much on work hard. And there's no balance. And so, interesting. uh, you know, I I agree with this. I I heard a quote once from a friend of mine. She said, I'll I'll trade a day for a night every once in a while. Mm hmm. And I think that's a good quote. That's good. If, if you owe that to yourself, you know, if you push yourself as much as I do and, and as much as a lot of people in this city do, I think you owe it to yourself to get out and appreciate where we live, why we live here. Why do we live in a place where people go on vacation? Why do we live in a place where people dream to move to one day? Mm-hmm. Why do we live in a place surrounded by art and culture and entertainment, but we don't expose ourselves to it because we get caught up in our own agendas? For me, it's about getting mm-hmm. out there and giving yourself some time to meet and introduce yourself and socialize with those people, like-minded people. Mm-hmm. That's why we came here in the first place. That's why we're doing this podcast. I mean, yeah, I mean, we live in L.A. How, often, how many times a week do you go to the beach? Uh, not many. I probably do more podcasts than I go to the beach. <laughs> Same. But that's, that's a weird thing I think about all the time where everyone's like, man, you live in LA, you must go to the beach every day. And, and nobody here does that. And you can't, but that's what makes it so special because when you go to the beach or when you live in LA and you live a busy lifestyle here, you still get to look forward to those experiences. I've never been to the Griffith Observatory. Oh, really? I've never been. In fact, I lived in that, in that canyon for a while. And I never went there. Really? I've driven by it, but I've never gone in. But I know one day I'm going to go there, and I'm going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. So I've built it up in my head. I've heard about, like, the stars and the whole thing inside mm-hmm. the place. And I need to go experience that. But I'm going to plan for that and do it. Like, that's going to be a special occasion tourist thing that I'll do. Yeah, take the mom. Take my mom. Don't do Runyon. Don't do, do Runyon. <laughs> so so what, what kind of uh, pro tips do you have for somebody who's trying to get that balance of of partying while getting a lot of work done because I've always been trying to work in that world of like balancing both out, but it can be tough. I think if you use it as an opportunity to reward yourself, like what did I accomplish this week to justify buying a bag of Coke? No, not that. (laughs) (laughs) What did I do this week to justify, you know, taking a night off and going out with my friends? Mm -hmm. And, And they're rare. I mean, I don't, I could work, I could work 24 hours a day. I have that much to do. And I think it's Mm -hmm. identifying that writing yourself a list and knowing that the list is never going to be finished and once you understand or come to that realization that the list is going to keep growing you'll start marking things off but as you mark things off you add more to the list that Mm -hmm. that to me is a healthy balance you know you have something to get up and do every single day and then all the other little things that go to the beach do a podcast play with the new coca-cola machine that we just (laughs) got at sack sandwiches those things all become 
little memories or little things throughout the day that give you a chance to stop and say like, okay, yeah, I'm happy. I'm doing what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. I get, I have time to do things like this. Um, the other thing for me lately has been about building infrastructure, you know, surrounding myself with people that can support what we hope to accomplish as a team. Therefore, I can create new things for us to do. My job now is not only to keep the guests inspired to come into the restaurants, but to keep the employees inspired to come work with us, keep the team members here and create new opportunities for them. If I sit back and say, all right, everything's going smooth. I'm just going to go. Can I say the F word? F off. I'll I'll go F off at my house. You can say the F word. I I need to. Instead of fucking off, I I need to create more opportunities for them or else they're going to go find opportunities with other people. That's true. I mean, it's it's a relationship that needs to be maintained, just like any other relationship. Absolutely, and it's and it's one that I take very seriously. Is it the? Can we pay the most? No, we're not attached to a massive hotel. We're an independent, freestanding restaurant, or each restaurant that we have is outside of some of the you know the deals that we have in the hotels and so forth. But this particular restaurant, Inc., where we're sitting now, I mean. There, I know the guy that's fixing the air conditioner back there right now. You know, mm-hmm. I walk into this restaurant. I can see that some of the walls need to be painted and things like that. Like, there's there's an expense that's associated with running this restaurant, but the most valuable asset that we have are the people that work here. And mm-hmm. so that's where I see myself investing the most. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have walls that are a little dinged up and pay a couple more people to work here. As far as running a restaurant, did you learn that from other restaurants, or did you learn that on your own when you opened one, or did you study I learned, it in school? I learned that from this restaurant. Uh, I, I never, I've, I've been a cook my whole life since I was 15 years old. I mean, that's all I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And then I woke up one day, and I was the CEO of a company. Mm-hmm. And, and our company is growing uh, you know, with some of the relationships that we have, whether it's in the entertainment space, the different restaurants, the new restaurants that are opening, uh, the transition that we have with existing restaurants, um, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't go to school for that. Mm-hmm. No one taught me that. I had to figure it out. I shouldn't say no one because I, I will say the people that I've worked with in this restaurant for the past six years have taught me that. Mm-hmm. My business partner, uh, Mike Ovitz, who's big business guy, yeah. uh, has taught me that. You know, And so I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to some of the best in their areas and I take advantage of that. Michael's not going to come in here and teach me how to cook. But if I need to understand how to negotiate a lease or I'm having financial troubles in the restaurant or even with art, you know, the art that's covered up on the walls right now, that's out of his personal collection. He's a resource for that. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the guys that built Hollywood. So if I can't lean on that resource and rely on that resource, then I'm doing something wrong, too. Did you did you find yourself kind of like pushing away from learning all of that or were you excited to learn that were you were you just kind of like i just want to be the creative chef guy and then have my business partner handle that i don't want to think about spreadsheets and payroll and all that stuff or were you excited to to learn that side of it I, you know i thought i was going to learn that from having a business partner but i have the type of business partner that wants to support an artist you know he built his career supporting artists and so he gave me what i needed to execute my vision and if i fell i fell if I succeeded, I succeeded. Either way, he was still there to support me. But th- there's, no, there's not a book to teach you how to do this. There's not a True. book to teach you how to own any business. It's, mm. it's the only book that you can learn to get yourself through this is the, is the book that teaches you how to work hard. And that's the part that people, I think, don't really associate with being an entrepreneur. It takes hard work. It's mm-hmm. fucking hard. And it's, it's emotional. It's physical. It's... It wears you out. It's, 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 it's everything. And you, 
if you can't embrace that energy and put it to work for you, then it's going to work against you. And then you're going to find yourself climbing that hill, you know, in a way that isn't as comfortable as you thought it should be or it, or it could be. Then did you always have this hard work drive in you or is this something that you learned from somebody, somebody else? Is it just instilled in you from your parents? My brother, you know, I saw him going to work when I was young. Uh, you know, I didn't really understand why, but, you know, he started coming home with stuff. And you start seeing stuff. and you, yeah, start, you would have new shoes. Yeah, you start thinking that life is about stuff. And, and I, I've gone through, I'm going through that phase. I'm probably getting through that phase now. And I'm starting to realize that it isn't all about that. It was about the stuff that I did to get the stuff that was important to me. And I didn't learn that until like right now. <laughs> and so I wish I had all the money back that I blew on all the shit that I didn't need. Because I realized that earning that money was more important to me than spending that money. And I really, really yeah. made a mistake because I blew a lot of it. Um, <laughs> but Yeah, I mean, you kind of, when, when you start making some money, you're in your 20s and you're like, oh my God, this is, it's just going to be like this forever. You don't even take the moment to stop and realize like, wow, I did something cool where like I created something and I'm getting paid for it. And that's amazing. Yeah. And, but you're more of just like, I'm going to go buy some fucking shit. Right I went now. out and bought shit, a lot of shit. What, what, was, what, what is your uh, weakness in I, terms cars, of... Cars, I go through a lot of car... I go through cars, like people go through shoes and clothes and stuff like that probably. And, really? And it's, that's an expensive habit to have, but yeah, it's... Yeah, no shit. Um, I managed to build relationships with car companies and do things with car companies that uh, helped sweeten the deals, I guess, along the way. Uh-huh. So I was, I was very fortunate to work with uh, Lamborghini for a while. Um, I'm working with Cadillac currently, who's been a huge supporter of ours. And so, Cadillac seems like they're big in the food game. Cadillac is big in the game period. Yeah. And this is why. Uh, they're building cars that people want to ride in, but they're also building cars that people want to drive. And so I feel like they're one of the few companies that have been able to... Want to ride in? Like, like, like you want to ride in the back of a Cadillac. Oh, interesting. But, I never even thought about it But that when way. you're driving in the front of it, you don't feel like you need to put a hat and a suit on to be sitting in the driver's seat. You know, the cars are meant to be driven as well. And hmm. so I feel like, you know, Lincoln is a great brand, for instance, but Lincoln... Uh, when you see a Lincoln on the road, you, you expect to see somebody sitting in the backseat of it and somebody yeah. sitting in the front. When you see a Cadillac on the road, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like no, it could be either way. Yeah, it really could go either way. Um, but so yeah, I, how, how many cars do you have? Do I have now? Uh, right now I have two. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would say every car that I usually end up with, it usually has like a six to eight week shelf life. No, six to eight month shelf life. Sorry, weeks. I, that, that would be crazy. Uh, six to eight month shelf life. Six months is also still crazy. Don't and, worry. Uh, and I keep, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, here's what it is. I think because, and I've always had a nice car. And when I say nice, I mean like since I was 16 years old, I always bought myself. What was your first car at 16? My first car, I bought a 1985 BMW 735 from like a drug dealer auction or whatever. Woo! It was like, that thing was so pimp. <laughs> and I think I spent like $4,000 on the car. It probably had 80, 187000 I don't know. It had a mm-hmm. lot of miles on it. But it was a BMW. Yeah. So, um, a big body. Yeah, it was the big long one. And, and then from there, it just kept getting worse. And like I just kept it – was, it was a bad place to start. But for me, it was about this is one thing that I can enjoy to and from work every single day. Every single day, this is my time that I have. I'm going to drive to work. I'm going to listen to my music. I'm going to enjoy this car. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get off work, get in my car, listen to this music, and enjoy this ride. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's always been something that's been important. It's not about being flashy or having new cool shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's something that I genuinely care about. Like, I love cars. Some people love 
sailing. Some people love, I don't know, other stuff. Yeah. I like cars. Some people want to have a nice blanket on their bed. I, I have a decent blanket, too. I'm sure you do. In my car, <laughs> which, where I live, because I can't afford a house. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> of all these damn car problems. Yeah, but it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's important to recognize what you like and reward yourself. But at the same time, uh, like I said, for me, I realized, and I'm realizing now, and it took me 38 years to get to this point, that uh, it's not the stuff that I enjoy. It's, it's, it's the stuff that I do to get it. And I just... Mm-hmm. Until somebody tells me I can't do it anymore, I'm still going to show up to work. I'm still going to cook food. I'm still going to create dishes. I'm still going to build restaurants. I'm still going to do things for as many charity organizations as I possibly can. I'm still going to battle ending child hunger. I'm still, I'm still going to keep doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing until I physically can't do it anymore or somebody tells me just to fucking stop. Damn, the cold brew is speaking right now. I love it. I haven't even taken a sip yet. <laughs> it's still look. The, the paper's still in the straw right now behind me. You're just that sprung off the off your soul cycle. There, but it's just I'm just that sprung on on <laughs> on motivation. Like I'm just tired. Sprung on motivation. Like no, I I'm I I, I'm, I don't I'm understand very... why people don't work hard. You know that bothers me. And 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 it and it's like, or people that think that I haven't worked hard. Like mm. I, I put every, I put work in front of everything since I was 15 years old in front of. I, is that, is that something that you think about that, that people don't think you're working as hard as you are? I think that people think certain people just end up somewhere and they don't know the details or the circumstances mm-hmm. that they had to tread through to get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to harp on that or like feel sorry for me, but nothing was handed to me. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is handed to me things are starting to be handed to me now but i think it's a result of what i've done for the past 20 years like yep. i've been in my industry for 23 years mm-hmm. most people retire after shit like that yeah i'm just getting started mm-hmm. yeah i mean that, that i feel like that happens a lot especially in this town with these sort of with these artistic careers where a lot of people are like are you what are you what are you really doing like they don't know like what what you're putting into it and what you've had to do to get to where you are. And that can be kind of frustrating because it appears that you have this amazing life and you're just like, I'm just going to go ride my bike and eat some foie gras. And, no, it's not like that. And, and wash people, the Lambo. You know, well, you know what it is, too, is that people get nervous or they, they, they're, they have fear that somebody's going to come behind them and do it better than they did. And you need to think opposite of that. Um, my next chapter is about creating the same opportunities for, for, the, for the guys and girls and everything in between that are coming up behind me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about creating those same opportunities that I had for them, but also being around to help support them through that because I've been through it. And, and at the same time, by creating those opportunities for them, they're going to create opportunities for me. And I think there's value in that. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. I can't do more unless I create a situation where they can do more. And once they're doing more, then I need to go out and do more so I can keep creating more for them to do. And so it's this like crazy cycle of. Are you are you just learning now how to work with other people at a, at a more efficient level or have you always had that ability to? I'm learning now how to let people do their jobs. Mm hmm. Not micromanage everyone. Not did you, did, did you used to be the kind of person where you would want to, to do everything yourself? Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. And, and it's a lonely place because, how, I mean, if you don't let people make mistakes, then they're not going to learn either. And I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm not going to say people let me make them. I definitely got my punishments when, when I should have. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not, it's not thinking that every mistake is the end of the world and helping people understand how to do it better. Not just pointing out what they've done wrong 
but helping them figure out how to do it right. And I mm-hmm. think I'm trying to learn that as much as I possibly can because they're holding me accountable too. If I'm going to hold people accountable, then I should also allow them to hold me accountable as well. And that's the part that I'm trying to learn now. I want to be managed. I don't want to be the only manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who manages the manager? Yeah. You know, I'm watching this show uh, Billions right now on Showtime, I think it is. And there's a character in that show. And, you know, there's, there's some like... I'm a Billions head. I'm familiar. You are. So you understand the character I'm probably going to talk about. You know, there was, there, there was a questionable gender and, and blah, 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 and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this character became not liked for all of those things and for being brave for all of that sort of stuff about being yourself and this and that, but for just coming in and being the boss, like Mm -hmm. just coming in and saying, you guys can read this book by its cover or wait until you see what I'm going to show you. And it was like this person just emerged as a force of strength, a force of knowledge, uh, a leader, people that somebody that rallied the team. And I felt like that character being written into uh, that storyline was so relevant today. You know, it's everyone like stereotypes people and looks at people and no one takes the time to get to know what people are capable of. And I think it it starts with a simple conversation. Like stop and ask the people that you work with, what do you want to do? Like I have a, I had a line cook uh, in the restaurant here at Inc who I stopped and and started asking him questions. And our line cooks don't make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's no secret. Line cooks in general don't make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out he had a hospitality career, uh, degree, uh, offered him an opportunity to transition to management into the front of the house for a while so he could get that exposure because I never got it. Like I've never, I was a busboy once. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I never was given experience in the front until I had to build a restaurant. How would you like to be an assistant manager in the restaurant? All of a sudden his income like almost doubles mm-hmm. and he gets to experience something different. And that happened from a conversation. Mm-hmm. Out front of this restaurant, what would you like to do? I don't know. What about this? Yeah, I'd love to try that. Okay, here you go. And all of a sudden, opportunity is born, and I retain another employee. Mm-hmm. Selflessly, their agendas have to become more important than your own because it's the only way you're going to achieve your own goals. Mm-hmm. And I think that those, those lessons I've learned, I mean, I've, I've, I've been the yelling and screaming person, and sometimes I still lose my shit. And I only justify that by saying it comes from the right place. You know, it comes from passion. I genuinely care. Um, I don't, I don't want to be uh, the dictator, you know? I, I want this to be, um, I, I just want us to have fun and enjoy each other's company and, and, and well, live in a democracy, have a democracy inside my own restaurants where, you know, we support each other. And I, I don't think we need laws and things like that to tell us how to do our jobs, but we just need to have the common understanding that we're all here to work hard for the same reasons. When you were a 15-year-old cook, was the... the the whole vibe was a lot different. Did you have like a hard ass boss or chef that was, that was yelling kind of like the old guard that they say that's kind of how it was. And now they've had to calm down. I've always had that, uh, you know, and I've, you seen, miss a little bit of that. I don't because I've seen what's happened to a lot of those guys that I worked for. Um, mm-hmm. and when you start becoming that person, like that person you are at work, when you start becoming that person, whether it's that angry person or that yelling person or whatever it is, there's there's almost like there's no turning back, you know, and you, you sort of you lose control over yourself. And I think you need to take that energy because it's going to be there and just figure out where to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've lost whether, whether it's it's been, you know, mentors of mine uh, that, that have passed away from, 
you know, questionable gunshot wounds, whether or not they did them to themselves or, mm-hmm. or, or they were, again, I don't want to get into the details, but like I've gone through all of that and I've seen what happens when you just let it consume you. Mm-hmm. You do any yoga? You do any meditation? I, I'd like to start doing meditation. Somebody stopped me. I was walking into a coffee shop the other day, and this guy was outside with pamphlets, and he was like, hey, something, something, blah, blah, blah. And I just did the typical, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. And I walked inside Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Shit, I said Starbucks. Yeah, I went to Starbucks. <laughs> and then I walked out with my double short soy latte, and same guy was still standing there. I'm like, hey, man, I'm really sorry to walk by you like that. What are you here to talk about? And he was like, really? He's like, I want to... Tell you about meditation. And I'm like, huh. All right. I took his pamphlet. It's still in my car. I haven't really read it yet. But, but my point is, is like, maybe I should read it because I, had I meditated, I probably would have stopped and had a conversation on the way into the coffee shop mm-hmm. instead of feeling guilty and having it on the way out. But I'm glad I did because, again, maybe another door opened. Maybe I just found something else that I'd like to experience. I don't know. I think it could be good for you. You were, you were mentioning earlier about your, your list of to-do items always, always constantly evolving. How do you actually keep your to-do list? Is it, is it handwritten? Is it, do you have an app? I, I mean, I have a calendar now, and, and we have you know, executive, uh, assistants and mm-hmm. an assistant. I mean, I have an assistant here uh, mm-hmm. who, who helps me maintain that. Uh, she's fantastic. Um, but I wake up every single day and I look at my calendar and I see what I have to do. Because if I do it week by week, like if I'm like next week I got to do this, then I start getting anxiety and I start feeling like I'm not going to get everything done I need to get done. So every night I look at what I need to do the next day. Then I take those things on my calendar and break those down into my own individual list in which I either keep all my notes in my phone or mm. I, like, I like moleskins. Like I still carry a moleskin around mm-hmm. in my backpack. Uh, I take a lot of notes in that. Um, and a lot of those notes become like things in my cookbook or dishes on the menu or a job promotion for someone. Like, hey, talk to this person about a promotion. Put it in my pocket. And then when I get home at night and empty my pockets out, it's like, oh, there's that piece of paper that I need to do that tomorrow. And so I'm, I'm pretty disorganized, I think. Not organized. I don't even know how to say that. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not good at that yet. Right. Um, but I do try and get as much done as I possibly can. I just it's, – it's not possible. And, and like I said, it's, it's about accepting that and embracing that challenge and waking up every day with the motivation that you can check one thing off the list, but just know that something else is going to get added. It's, I think it's healthier. If you, you should be excited that more things are going to be added. Well, if you want to get through the whole list, what are you going to do next? Have an anxiety attack? Or write another list? I don't know. Like, fuck off. Fuck off. Why not? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound so bad, though. <laughs> one day. But probably in my 40s. Well, you gotta be, you got to build it all the way up, and then you finally just say, fuck it, and then just do nothing. I don't think yeah, – I, 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 I'd like to think that I could do that one day, but I don't want to right now. Oh, yeah. Of course not right um, now. you got to wait till you're old and fat, and you just don't care well, anymore. Not, first of all, I'm not going to get old, and I'm not going to get fat. So those two <laughs> things are you – know, No? Not for a while. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, eventually, it's going to happen to everyone. I, I, I am addicted to soul cycle, so – are you? I am. That's, that is my guilty pleasure. That is my meditation these days. Soul cycles, your guilty pleasure? You know what's funny is I found it and, and wasn't good at it. <laughs> I wasn't good at it, and then I'm like, you know what? I want to be good at it. And it's I, fun. You, know, you show up, you sit in the back row, and you watch everyone, and you're like, one day I'm going to sit in the front row. 
one day they're going to bring that candle over and put it next to me at the end of the class. <laughs> and then all of a sudden when it happens, you're like, oh, shit, maybe one day I'm going to sit in the bike that's in the middle right in front of the instructor. So that's my next goal there. Uh, I almost did it this morning, but I wimped out. What, what's your, what's your like, morning routine, breakfast-wise, food-wise, all that stuff? Uh, I usually get up and have a coffee and a Quest bar. Honestly, um, Quest bar. Yeah, like one of those little protein bars, mm-hmm. like the cookies and cream one, or the chocolate chip, uh, cook, the cookie cookie dough one. I guess it is. Okay. Uh, so I've gotten hooked on it, but then I've had this idea recently that why are all protein bars sweet? Like you eat a protein bar how many times throughout the day? I do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Why can't they make one that tastes like I don't know, like combos? Remember combos, the pretzels with the cheese in the middle? Of course like, let's I make do. a combos flavored protein bar. Let's make a salty protein bar. So, like, when you go to the store, sometimes you get a Snickers <laughs> bar, you get a candy bar, or a bag of potato chips, right? Right. You get one or the other. You're craving that. But when you go for the protein bar, you're only getting the candy bar. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, want- I think they do. They do make some savory protein bars, but they still have always a little bit of sweetness like going weird, on. Weird, sugary, yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and protein, you know, nuts are protein and all that sort of stuff. But why not like a combos? What about some jerky and cheese, like compressed into a thing, and like it's like a, I don't know, a steak and cheese protein bar or something. I don't know. We need to work on savory protein bars because <laughs> I don't want to eat that sweet stuff all day long. I agree with that. You're not, I mean, cookies and cream, delicious, not always in the mood for it. Gin and tonic, protein bar, right? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shit. Mind blown right there. Gin and tonic, protein bar. We need to make that. I mean, I think this could be the next, the next move for you. Like, get, what, get in the world of protein bars? Um, yeah. I, yeah. What other flavors could we do? Like a, a, a barbecued protein bar. Dipped just a brisket flavor? Brisket, brisket flavor. But then you could just eat bris- brisket, I guess. Why not just But, eat- I mean, you're, you're, already making, you're already making sandwiches, which yeah. are complex designs of ingredients that are all perfectly balanced. You can just have those existing in a protein bar form. How do you take that and turn it into something that you can put in? I don't know. See, that's... You're the damn chef, baby. I know, but then there's... there's just a... have it be some type of rye bread emulsion that's then compressed into like a weird molded paste, and then you get the... And I could figure that out, Sodium nitrite onto the... <laughs> I need a scientist. That's what I need. I need a scientist. It's possible, but once you pull it off, that's the, that's the retirement fund. Then you can just say fuck you to the world and just get that cliff bar money. You know what I mean? Like a turkey. Buy a damn like helicopter. A turkey and stuffing protein bar. Like who Hell would yeah. eat that? You know what I'm saying? Perfectly there. You taste the sage. You, if you need a little sweet, they can put a little cranberries in there. You need to get NASA involved with this. Yes. Yes. Some astronaut. NASA. Astronaut we need turkey. savory protein bars. <laughs> um. You've, been, you've made a zillion recipes and, and things like that in dishes over the years. What is one that you've recently created that you're, that you're very proud of? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think in the restaurant right now, I would say still the, the egg yolk gnocchi that we've had on the menu here for a while uh, is one that I'm standing behind because we, we've created that, and it's a dish that we add ingredients to take ingredients away from but the heart of the dish stays there uh it's one of those things that i think we can never take off what exactly is it we basically just take egg yolks and we cook them in a in a steam oven and then we take them out and we undercook them we blend them with olive oil and almost make it into like a pudding and then okay. we put that pudding into a pastry bag and then we squeeze that into a pot of water and take a pair of scissors and cut them drop by drop so they mm-hmm. look like gnocchis mm-hmm. some little tiny croutons and right now we're serving them with chanterelle mushrooms and fresh peas. Um, but it's just, it's like one of those things that it's like, 
it makes me happy every time I eat it still. And we've had it on the menu here for like three or four years now. Um, and so is that recent? No, but it's something that makes me excited. Lately, I've been working a lot with our bar guy, Otello, who's been bringing cocktails to me. And he brings them to me with this proud look on his face. Like, I'm going to taste this and it's going to be the best thing I've ever tasted. And it usually is, but it's like at 99%. And so I'd like to think that I'm always there to contribute that last 1%. Okay. And it's almost like he could walk away with that, like, F you, chef, you don't know what you're talking about, or his eyes light up. And mm-hmm. seeing his eyes light up and, like, him going and trying it and coming back and being like, you know what? It worked. It's like that type of shit makes me so happy. Um, mm-hmm. to, to be able to use your palate with, with, a, with a, a mixologist and be like, what do you think this needs? And then well, something f- that he couldn't think of, you pop in, and then he can do the same thing for a dish of yours. I feel like they're, they're, I used to think they were just coming to me for approval or – or they needed, like, I needed to say something. And sometimes when, when I don't need to say anything, I don't. And I'm not one of those people that will say something just to say it. But mm-hmm. if it can help make it better, then I'll throw it out there. And mm-hmm. if they don't like it, that's fine too. But, but I like when I throw it out there, they try it, and they come back, and they're like, thank you. That's the way it should be. That's how, that's how a good collaboration works out. And that's the most important word, I think. Um, you know, you build success off of teamwork, but also collaboration, I think, is a more important word because a team, you know, is, is, is everyone physically sort of pushing themselves to make the whole thing happen. But sometimes people on the team need the opportunity to throw a couple of those coaching words into the, into the equation. And so mm-hmm. if they can say, what if we try this play this time? Mm-hmm. Even if they're not running it, what if they just make get to make the suggestion and you're successful because of that suggestion? Then all of a sudden, that that collaboration becomes more obvious and more relevant, and 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 it's it becomes infectious. Then everyone <clears throat> else wants to say, well, he got to bring up or she got to bring a play to the to the huddle, and they ran his or her play. Maybe they'll run mine. And so now, you know, with dishes on the menu, a lot of the cooks are doing that. You know, it's like one guy. Or girl brings a dish to the menu and and I put it on the menu, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, maybe I can do that. And so the guys are the staff, the cooks are here, the chefs are making dishes and bringing them to the table too. And it's like that collaboration or that that ability to inspire people to push themselves to be part of the creative process that's inspiring. Mm-hmm. That's the magic right there. Um, lastly, what's a question that people ask you all the time that you're sick of answering? Has your life changed since Top Chef? <laughs> <laughs> How what much do you, do you love that I did not yeah. ask you about Top Chef? It's the fact that I had to bring it up, which now I feel like an asshole. But it, honestly, <laughs> like as much as I appreciate what that show did for me and the opportunities that came after that, like people walk up to me like, oh my God, I loved you on the show. And I want to respond with Breaking Borders, which was my travel channel show that lasted <laughs> barely a season. And, but no one even thinks that's – you think that's funny, but no one thinks it's funny. They're like, uh, What? what's that and they're like no top chef and i'm like oh yeah that thing i did like eight years ago Mm -hmm. um yeah that was cool too no my life hasn't changed at all since top chef (laughs) we actually i ran i was at i was the chef of a restaurant in pasadena for a while at the langham hotel right after top chef and oh yeah langham classics we put a dry erase board in the in the kitchen and eventually we just wrote like top 10 questions that guests will ask chef when they come into the kitchen Mm -hmm. and so we'd number them one through ten we'd write the questions up there and as the guests would come in to meet the chef or at the time, meet the guy that was just on Top Chef. Can I come in and meet him? Yeah. Take a pick? And so, like, question number one. How's your brother doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, how's your fucking brother doing? 
Question number two, has your life changed since Top Chef? Question number three, uh, who was nicer, Gail or Padma? Like, there was all these, and, and, right. like, marking them off, and, like, having the cook in the corner, like, oh, I'm going to be here to make sure most of the guests got through, like, all ten of them. It was impressive. Really? Yeah. Like. That's an interesting experiment. But, like, how's your brother? Like, that's such a, like, and now it's like, when people walk up to me, I don't, sometimes they actually know my brother. So okay. I'm, but I don't know that they know him. So I'm just thinking they're asking me that question because of Top Chef. Like, how's your brother? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. And <laughs> but, but then it's like, oh, they're like, oh, yeah, we just, you know, went camping with him last week. How's he doing? And I'm like, oh, oh, like my real brother, not the guy that played my brother on, on Bravo's Top Chef, but right. my actual brother. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's great. Brian, by the way, is his name, is doing fantastic. <laughs> and we, yes, we love each other. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but you, but Top Chef did change your life of for course, the better. Man. Like, of course, it is. When you were like, "Hey, how's that? How's your life changed when you're on that show where millions of people watch you every single day?" It was such a good opportunity, and for me, it was. I mean, I, I feel like I was established uh, in my industry, the industry of, of being a chef and cooking and working for great chefs like Jose Andres and Charlie Palmer and, and my brother and all those guys. And um, you know. It, for me, I was nervous about – I wanted to bridge that gap between chefs and, and chefs that played chefs on TV. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to, like, m- create opportunity, real opportunity for guys that are the introverts that are in the kitchen and through Top Chef and then all the television that I've done after that. And to be honest, like, I owe that to Top Chef. For mm-hmm. people to be like, you know, you're that guy from Top Chef. Yeah, I am. I am. Mm-hmm. And I'm that guy that took that opportunity and used it as a platform to build a better career for myself, a bigger career for myself, and ultimately a bigger career and more opportunity for more people. So mm-hmm. to not say that that was a huge part of it, absolutely. Top Chef definitely opened up a lot of doors. But the work I put into it on that show and the amount of training and the amount of recipes I memorized and the amount of just dedication that I have to being a cook, that's what I want. you know, And that's that's why anyone should win any competition. It's mm-hmm. not – you don't walk into a boxing ring and let the guy punch you and then at the end of it, like, oh, you win. No, you go in there fighting and you go in there fighting with the expectation that you're going to win that fight. And that's how I – that's what Top Chef was to me. But that's the part that people don't know. They thought was like, how was it being on TV? It was tough. It sucked. You had to ask people when you could go to the bathroom. You didn't have a phone. You don't have any access to TV or internet or any of that sort of stuff. You're j- but, but the cool thing about it and the pure thing about it is it was that. All that shit was turned off, and all you had to focus on was winning a cooking competition. So if you want to ask me what Top Chef was to me, it was that. It was shutting myself off to the world, putting my head down, and winning a fucking cooking competition. Let me see you do that. It was, a, it was like a fun jail. Yeah, it's like jail that smells good. Jail that yeah smells good. <laughs> all the all the alcohol you can drink too. That's usually free because it creates drama. I Sounds guess. like a reality show to me. That's all it. right, Voltaggio, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure, man. Thank uh, you guys if you, so if much. If people want to follow you, like, what's your Instagram or I whatever? I managed to grab them early, so I'm at M Voltaggio on both uh, Instagram and Twitter at M Voltaggio. Sweet. All thank right. you. Appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Westwood Westwood. You can go to westwoodwestwood.com for lots of really cool content, videos, articles, and other podcasts just like this one. You can follow me on social media at Them Jeans. Listen to my other podcasts, Tall Tales and The Stew. Thank you guys again, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.